I want you to look at those four things that's mentioned right there in verse 18, verse 19. The clarity, the striking clarity of these four things that's mentioned right here in these two verses. The first thing is there is no fear in love. We're going to come back and address each of these points a little bit a little bit more detail, but the first thing there is no fear in love. The second thing that is so clear, perfect love drives out fear. The third thing is he that feareth doesn't know complete love. And the fourth thing is we love him because he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. So I'm looking over here and I see a brand new couple. Guy, Brianna, would y'all just stand? Just stand up. They just got back from their honeymoon. And so, yeah. So Guy and Brianna, they're, they're, this is going to be their church home. And we're, we welcome y'all. This will be your first official welcome as a couple. So they're the newest couple in this room. And I counseled Guy and Brianna. I had the privilege of doing their wedding. And I love, I love everybody's love story. So Guy, in, in y'all's relationship, who made the first move? Guy made the first move. All right, thank you. You can be seated. Pop, Stan, you and that beautiful woman you've got beside you. Mom, mom, come on, stand up. So they've been married. Look at him. He's still just giddy he loves her so much. They've been married 58 years, 58 years. Okay, in y'all's relationship, who made the first move? It sure wasn't mom, he said. It was him. All right. So it's ancient history, right? No, it's not. Pop's still madly in love with that cute little woman. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Stats, who made the first move in y'all's relationship? You did. Anybody in here that the girl made the first move? All right. Andrea. Yeah, she's proud of it. And he's not here to give his side of the story. So, the first move, you know, I know, Addison, who made the first move in y'all's relationship? Nobody made a move? Oh, he did. She's, he's pointing at her. She's pointing at him. I believe, I believe her, Addison. Dwayne, y'all been married like, what, 32 years? 33 years? You made the first move, I'm sure. I would ask Steve, but I don't know if Steve's got a blank look on his face over there. So, when me and Bonnie, me and Bonnie, our relationship started 36 years ago. We've been married 35 years. David, y'all, David and Georgetta, y'all been married 40 years? 42 years. Alvin and Nala, y'all been married 42 years. So, I've told this church before, see, I watched them date and I watched them date. And I've, I learned some things. Just watching, watching these older guys. Um, you know, I was around here when I was a kid, so I told y'all before about standing out there on the, that uh, 
little red brick house out on, I don't know what it was called then, it's Pollock Road now, but uh, out there where Nyla and them live, we, we stayed out there with the Pollockses a lot, and when he'd kiss her goodnight, we'd peek. <laughs> and, and, and so they had that steps going out the side door, and Alvin is about six foot taller than Nyla, and so he stood down here on the ground, she stood on top of the porch. We watched, we know, we watched these things. You know, I watched David and Georgette as they were dating. They could sit in one chair, one seat rather, in, in the car. For real, they could sit in one seat in the car. And so I grew up watching, and, 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 and let me just pause here for a moment just to remind you, there are little eyes watching you. Amen? So I, we weren't little eyes then, we were just teenage eyes, but... When me and Bonnie first met, it was at Holiness Hill down in Parable. And I was about 20, I think it was. I was first year as counselor, and, and some, of the, some of the girls at camp had told Bonnie it was her one and only time to go to youth camp. And so some of them was like, you need to meet David Beecham. You need to meet David Beecham. He's just, they just like, he's it or something you need to meet him you need to meet David Beecham he's got such beautiful eyes and so Bonnie met David Beecham and Bonnie walked off and was like what's the big deal <laughs> and I met Bonnie and forgot meeting her because she was dating somebody from Mississippi and, and uh, so it just didn't click and this love at first sight kind of deal that's that's only in movies Love at first sight's really not a reality, you know, and, and uh, usually, usually after the second sight, the love at first sight starts getting sober. But anyway, we eventually, we came together. 35 years ago, we married, and that re the relationship has really, really just been blessed, as, as if, as all of y'all's are. But let me ask you a question. Let me just use Bonnie and me for an example. If, if I could not let her go anywhere by herself without me trusting what she's going to do, is that perfect love? And if she couldn't let me go anywhere and talk to anybody else without her worrying about what I was going to do, is that perfect love? No, it's not. There's something lacking. There's something missing. There's something that's not quite right. And in this setting of Scripture, there's some things that needs to be established because once we're settled in, in our relationship with God, the confidence level to be what we're supposed to be really begins to take off. When you're in the right kind of love relationship, there's a confidence there that you can't even put into words. There's this, there's this security there that you really can't even adequately express. You just know that this one that I'm in this love relationship with, they can, I can trust them with my heart. I depend on them. I know they've got my back. I know they'll be with me through thick and thin. They've proven to be there, and I am one with them. So when John writes to us this passage of Scripture, he gives us these four points. There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. He that feareth doesn't know complete love. And we love him because he first loved 
us. That's the last of the four points, but that's actually the starting point. The starting point is, is that he made the first move. Guy made the first move, Addison made the first move, Stats made the first move, Pop made the first move, and I think I made the first move. But he made the first move. There is a theological term to that, and it's called provenient grace, and it's right there on your notes. The word provenient grace just simply means to come before. He loved us before we even knew him. Do you realize that before we acknowledged his existence, he already knew us? Before we turned to him, he was already seeking us. And before we loved him, he had already loved us. Do y'all realize that? And in John 6, Jesus made the statement. He said, no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. Every single one of us here tonight are here because the love of God reached out before we even acknowledged his existence and got a hold of us and began to draw us toward him. Do y'all believe that? And are you thankful for that tonight? And Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 5 verse 6. He said, for when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Before we ever stepped into a church building, before we ever knelt at an altar, the love of God had already preceded us and said, I'm going to bring you to where you are. I'm going to bring you to myself. And if you're thankful for that, you ought to clap your hands to the Lord right now. Because you're here, you're here because his love drew you to himself. So we're drawn to him. And while we were yet sinners, we were loved by him. So he started the relationship. He started it. Everybody say he started it. He started it. He made the first move. And we're established on that fact. And we're established on who he is. In Deuteronomy chapter 33 and verse 27 we're established on who he is. And the Bible says, the eternal God is thy refuge. Underneath are the everlasting arms. And he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee and shall say, destroy them. I don't know how, how it is with y'all, but sometimes I just kind of get locked in on a certain passage of Scripture, or a certain place. And even though I'm studying other things, I just go back, can't just, just fall back on that. And Psalm 46 is one of those passages this song of Korah, and it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Aren't you thankful for the presentness of God? He is a very present help in trouble. And therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters be roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, there is a river the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God is right there. God will help her, and that right early. The heathen raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. God is. Look at your neighbor and say, God is. 
This is the isness of God. Come, behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow, cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. And then God says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. That's a right now God, a right now God. He is our refuge. He is with us. Psalm 90 verse 1, this prayer of Moses. Moses said, Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever thou had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. So that's who he is. And it's important to note that our relationship with him is built on the fact that he loved us first, that he reached to where we were. He drew us to himself. Our relationship is built on a God that is faithful. Now, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings tonight, and please, if something makes you uncomfortable, let's move on from that really quickly. But in this first point of this lesson tonight, it's built on him. Our hope is built on a faithful God. You can't build the best relationship on an unfaithful partner. You can't build a relationship on somebody that you keep hoping is going to change. You can't build a relationship on somebody that you keep hoping if you love them good enough, they're going to get their act together. You can't build a relationship on something like that. You can't build a relationship on something that you can't or somebody that you can't trust to leave your sight. You just can't. We know that. We know the reality of that. You can't build a relationship on an unfaithful partner. But you know what the Bible tells us about our Lord? The Bible tells us that even if we prove to be faith, faithless, he remains faithful. That he does not change. He is consistent. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. And here we are. We've gone through the year of all years, and we're almost, we've almost got it behind us. We're almost about to say goodbye, 2020. But we all sit here with a little apprehension of not even knowing what 2021 holds. It could be like a blues song, stormy Monday, and Tuesday's just as bad. Wednesday's worse. And Thursday's oh so sad. It could just be, hey, we may have just stepped out of the frying pan into the fire. We don't know. But one thing we do know, that the God that has brought us to this point is the God that is going to remain faithful to us no matter what lies in front of us. Up to this point, he's proven to be faithful, and we're building a relationship on a God that is consistent, that he never changes. So when we look at perfect love, in John, 1 John 4, 4, that's our text, but John begins to build a foundation, and he starts it here in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, and it looks a whole lot like what he wrote in John 1, 1. 
But in 1 John 1, 1, John begins to build this foundation this way. He said, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and shew unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And then look at this fourth verse closely. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Our fullness of joy is coming from the fact that we stand on a God that we know to have been the same yesterday and today and forever. He gives to us the identity of our Lord. We know his identity. So we know who he is. We know we can trust him. We know we can depend on him. We know that he's an unchanging God. We know that he is that everlasting God that upholds us. He is that God that was from everlasting to everlasting, from generation to generation. So John gives us his identity, and then we begin to see our identity. In 1 John 3, 1, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. So let's just pause here for a moment. We're the children of God. We looked at this last, last Wednesday night. This was our focus. We are the sons of God. And notice how he worded that in verse 1. The world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Let me stop here and ask you, if the world did not acknowledge our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, if the world didn't know him, why are we so concerned about being accepted by the world that rejected our Savior? Come on, are y'all with me? If they are godless, if they don't know the Lord, if they don't acknowledge him, if they are of the spirit of antichrist, why are you worried about their acceptance? Why do you want to be accepted by that which rejected the, the light and the love and the light of humanity? Why? It doesn't matter what the world thinks about us. It does not matter. And I'm not trying to be an isolationist. I'm not an isolationist. But it does not matter what the world thinks about you and I. We have our identity. We are the children of God. And if they rejected him, don't get your feelings hurt because the world rejected you. If it rejected him first, he's, they're going to reject the people of his name. The world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Now, right now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. We have that hope that we're going to see our Lord one day. One day we're going to see our Savior. In verse 4 of John 4, 1 John 4, verse 4, he said, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. 
Looking at it again, we looked at this last, last Wednesday night out of that verse. But those three things that John gives to us, it's our identity. We're the children of God. Turn to that person beside you and say, hey, child of God. Is there anybody here that nobody turned around and looked at you and said, hey, child of God, just take your hand up. Jennifer, will you look over there and Andrea and say, hey, child of God. Anybody else? Did anybody tell Amy? She's back here on the back row. Hey, child of God. Anybody else? The word of God just simply tells us this is our identity. You are the children of God. But then God goes on and tells us of an authority that we have. And he says, and our second thing is authority. You have overcome them. That's our victory. Turn around, look at that person beside you and say, you've got victory. And the third thing is superiority. It's not just that you have victory, but when you begin to look at the reality of what John is telling us, it indicates that there's going to be an ongoing victory. Do you have the mindset, look up here at me, do you have the mindset that you cannot be defeated? Do you? Because as a child of God, we ought to have the mindset that I, it's impossible for me to be defeated. I cannot be defeated. I, I, I may go through some battles. I may have struggles. I may go through some long, dark nights, but I cannot be defeated. I'm a child of God. The grave couldn't hold him down, and he got victory over death and hell, and he arose victorious over that. And even if I pass on from this life, I'm just going to check straight on in to the eternal arms of Almighty God. I cannot be defeated. And he tells us this is a superior place that you and I are in. This is a superiority. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Who is he that is in us? He that is in us is the Holy Spirit. That's the very Spirit of God. And if the Spirit of him that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you, he that raised Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. And let me just pause here for a moment. You don't have to talk yourself into having the Holy Ghost. If you've received the Spirit of God and something changed in your life, you spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave utterance, nobody had to tell you you have the Holy Ghost. You just know that you know that you know there's something got a hold of you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And he that is in the world, that's the spirit of Satan. It's going to start becoming clearer and clearer as we go on into what lies, what, what lies in front of us. The gray area is going to start being less gray. It's going to be more black and white. It's, it's, it's of God. It's of Satan. It's right. It's wrong. It's righteousness. It's evil. It's black and white. But here we are right now in this passage of Scripture. We realize we have our identity because he gave us our identity. I love the words in that song, I am who I am because the I am tells me who I am. I am who I am because the I am tells me who I am. We have our identity. 
Turn back around to that person you're helping me preach to and say, embrace it. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that my last name is Beecham. Everywhere I go, people ask me about mom and dad. How's your mom? How's your dad? How's your family? How's your parents? How's your parents doing? The Beechams have been around here for a long time. I hope they stay around here for a long time. I'm thrilled to be a Beecham. I've never ran away from that. I've never ran away from the fact that that's my surname. That's who I am. I'm thankful for it. And just as I've never ran from that, and, and I believe most of you feel the same way about your family name, but just as you've never ran from that, I can't understand why anybody will just kind of timidly duck their head and not embrace the fact that they're a child of God. Embrace it. I never have hoped that I would be a Beecham. I've just always known. And when you're born again, you don't have to hope that you're a child of God. You just need to know, and you need to embrace it, and you need to say, I am a child of God. This is who I am. And it doesn't matter what anybody says. It doesn't matter what hell says. It doesn't matter what my past says. This is who I am. I'm a child of God, and I'm going to embrace it. And the second point is perfect love. I woke up Sunday morning there in Gatlinburg. Man, it was such an awesome time. Thank you all for letting your kids go to the youth retreat. It was great. I had a lot of fun. We had wonderful, I'm gonna, we're going to talk about it Sunday morning in a little bit, but some wonderful, wonderful times together in the presence of the Lord. Just worship service and the word and worship. But I woke up Sunday morning with this song playing in my mind and I wrote it down. And I'll be honest, I don't know a whole lot about these praise songs. I don't, I have to ask Bonnie or, or Michael or Anna. But there's a line in a song that says, My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear, did I get it right? My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. In John, 1 John 4, 16, let's start tying this together. John is writing to us and he says, And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. We have known the love of God. We've believed the love of God. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect. Our love is made complete. Our love is made complete how? Because we've known, we've believed the love of God. We know that this is a characteristic of God himself. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, God in him. So herein is our love made complete. The word there in verse 17 for perfect is complete. That ye may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. 1 John four seventeen. I want you to look at this closely. 
in the day of judgment. In the day of judgment. In the day of judgment. You can stand in front of a holy God and you can just be confident. Have you ever thought about it? That I can stand in front of God and I can stand there with confidence. If some of you's got a little shakiness in you right now, that's why this message is being brought forth because God doesn't want you to have one iota of shakiness in your life about your relationship with God. God wants you, if he were to stand in front of you right now, if judgment was on this platform and you were to stand in front of God, God wants you to be able to stand at him, in front of him with confidence because you know who you are. You know who he is. You know who you are in him. Herein is our love made complete that we may have boldness, verse 17, in the dead judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. So let's break that down. Verse 17, as he is, so are we in this world. We know unequivocally, unequivocally, there's no B in unequivocally. We know unequivocally that God, by his spirit, resides in our life so let me ask you this look up here at me I'm acting like I'm talking to the kids I'm sorry how many of you know that God resides in you by your by his spirit if you if you don't know it is 100% God's will that you do know we know without a doubt that God in his spirit resides in our lives. And based on what John said in John 1.17, this gives us unbounded confidence as we approach the day that we meet God. Do you realize that the day's going to come when the Lord returns and when the judgment begins to take place that there are going to be people wishing that the rocks would fall on them? Y'all with me? They're going to be wishing it. I, I want you to hide me. Rocks fall on me. Hide me from the face of the one that sits on the throne. But you and I are going to look at that throne with a look of adoration on our face. And we're going to say, here it is. I've been waiting for this all my born again life. Lord, I've been so ready to meet you. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. This is what I've been waiting on. And we have this unbounded confidence as we approach the day that we're going to meet God. Why? Because as John said, we are like Jesus. We've been enjoying life in a privileged place. We have been seated with him in heavenly places. 
we've already been enjoying the company of eternity. Paul said in Ephesians 2, 4, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. He's raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus because of his love. And then, then he goes on to say in 1 John, there is no fear in love. Perfect love. Complete love. There can be no apprehensiveness or fear of God when we fully comprehend his love. Fear and love are mutually exclusive. To fear the character of God or to fear the final judgment paralyzes us. It destroys the perfection that love offers. Perfect love is that complete love, that mature love. Perfect love is where we completely trust, we completely believe in, and we feel completely safe. I want to tell you all something. This pastor that was here before me did you all a favor because he did not teach you that you had this hateful father figure that was going to beat you every time you got out of line. He taught the love of God. He showed the love of God. He taught you to live holy and live righteously and live godly, not because you were afraid not to, but because you loved your heavenly father. And I've said it before and will say it again until I preach his funeral that I thank God that that man that preceded me and that was my pastor all my life did not mess me up. There have been some quacks that have stood behind the pulpit. And there have been those that have used the pulpit to intimidate, to beat down, to browbeat people, to, to line them up with fear. And that's not the way it is. We, we, we do what we do because we're in a relationship with the Lord and we love him with all of our heart. We live holy not because we're afraid not to. We live holy because love compels us to. We separate ourselves from the world, not because we're afraid that he's going to knock us down and strike us in our tracks, but because we want to be singled out unto him. We're in a relationship with him, and we love him exclusively. Our lives are not our own. We belong to him. Our bodies is a temple of the Holy Ghost. We walk with God separate from the world because we're in a relationship that is the best relationship that we can ever possibly imagine. And perfect love says I completely trust and I completely believe in and I feel completely safe with him. Romans chapter 8, verse 14, Paul says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. We've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we've received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. 2 Timothy 1, 7, y'all know this real well. 
Paul says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. I'm going to close in about three minutes. But what we need today is some bold believers. But it is impossible to be bold if you don't have confidence. And it's impossible to have confidence if you don't even know how much he really loves you. And love then that he shed to us, this perfect love that casts out fear or displaces fear or drives out fear. Paul goes on, or John goes on to say in those next three verses, we love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, he that loveth God, love his brother also. He loved, he loved us, we love him, we love each other. Hebrews 13, 1, let brotherly love continue. Let brotherly love continue. Let's stand. God doesn't want you to struggle when it comes to his relationship that he has with you. And God doesn't want us to struggle in our relationship with him or with each other. I want you to bow your heads, and I want you to just join me right now. I want you to reach over and put your hand on the shoulder of that person beside you. And I want us to just pray together one more time. Lord, right now, we just come to you thanking you for loving us, loving us first. But Lord, as we come here today, I pray that as Paul prayed for the church there in Ephesians 1, and Lord, as John's written to us, I pray that you would help us to know the riches, the depth of how much you love. God, we need it right now. We need it. Help us to know you. Help us to walk even closer to you than we ever have in our life. Help that love to be manifest in this church body and help that to be manifest everywhere we go. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's show our love to him right now. Let's show it as we sing this together. Sing it. We're going to go out with this. We worship you with lips of adoration. We worship Hallelujah. you as a company of Hallelujah. Sing it to him. We worship Why don't you just sing it to him? Hallelujah. Lord, we worship you. Hallelujah. We worship you. Hallelujah. Let this temple be a place where you glory. 
One more time, let's sing. Lord, we worship you. Yes, we worship Hallelujah. You with lips of adoration. Yes, we do. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. God bless you. I love all of you. Join us tomorrow over at Natchez Trace Campus. We need all the help we can get there. God bless you. No, don't see you tomorrow. We'll see you Sunday right here in this place. Be blessed in Jesus' name.